Hello. Hello. Welcome to Infinite Cast, part 13. I thought I was about to say part 12. Is it part 12? Ah, I it's I definitely just, a part. I think I just published part 12. Okay. So I think this is part 13. Let's call it 13. Oh, who, who cares? Who cares? Who cares if, if we're right or wrong? Not me. I don't know if you can hear the birds through this uh, recording, but they're going wild right outside they're our window. They're going crazy. They're all screaming, let's have sex. <laughs> let's have sex. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I, whenever animals make loud noises, I yeah. just assume that that's what they are, are saying. Yeah, like you listening to the delightful, uh, like crickets chirp at night in a warm summer day, and they're going, Let's fuck! Let's fuck! Who wants to fuck? To fuck? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a cricket. Yeah. Fuck me! Fuck me! <laughs> fuck me! No, fuck me! Okay. All right. I feel like we're in a pretty silly mood. We are. What did we leave off at? Good morning, oh, Sunday morning. Good morning, um, Sunday morning. Well, we met Tiny Yule. Tiny Yule. We at finished the, the, the com- uh, heading to the drug rehab place. To the to the halfway house after he detoxed. To we... the halfway house. I'm a full grown man, but I'm not afraid to cry. It's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, and then and then we ended with a little segment about uh, how everybody is rushing. Couple of cops, a couple of to embassy security the, yeah, guards are watching the the cursed tape. Couple of Seventh Day Adventists, they're yeah. all watching that jest. And that they can't look away. Watching the infinite jest. It is the ring of infinite jest. Yes, uh, seven days. Anyway, well, let's hop back in to a brand new segment, brand new location. <laughs> new um, character about to drop. New new character is about to drop. We are at uh, the 30th of April uh, of the year of the Depend adult undergarment. Excellent. So a little earlier in the year than the like November action okay, that's great. happening. All right. He sat alone above the desert, redly backlit and framed in shale, watching very yellow payloaders crawl over the beaten dirt of some USA construction site several kilometers to the southeast. The outcropping's height allowed him, Marath, to look out over most of USA area code 6026. His shadow did not yet reach the downtown regions of the city, Tucson, not yet quite. Of sounds in the arid hush were only a faint and occasional hot wind, the blurred sound of the wings of sometimes an insect, some tentative trickling of loosened grit and small stones moving further down the upslope behind. And as well, the sunset over the foothills and mountains behind him. Such a difference from the watery and somehow sad spring sunsets of southwestern Quebec's Papineau regions, where his wife had need of care. This, the sunset, more resembled an explosion. It took place above and behind him, and he turned some of the time to regard it. Turned some of the time to regard it. Sorry. It, the sunset, was swollen and perfectly round and large radiating knives of light when he squinted. It hung and trembled slightly like a viscous drop about to fall. It hung just above the peaks of the Tortolita foothills behind him, Morath, and slowly was sinking. Morath sat alone and blanket-lapped in his customized fauteuil de Roland, which takes us to end note number 37, which means wheelchair. Okay. Uh, on a kind of outcropping or shelf about halfway up, waiting, amusing himself with his shadow. As the lowering light from behind came at an angle more and more acute, Goethe's well-known Brookendespenst phenomenon. 
<laughs> which takes us to end note 38, which is a ghostly light and monster shadow phenomenon particular to certain mountains, e.g. QV part one of Goethe's Faust, the Walpurgisnacht six-toed dance-a-thon on the Harzbrücken, in which there's described a classic <laughs> Brückengespenst phenom. Gespenst means specter or wraith. Okay. Really working my German. I do love uh, a good Walpurgisnacht. Who doesn't? Uh, the, <laughs> the phenomenon enlarged and distended his seated shadow far out overland so that the spokes of his chair's rear wheels cast over two whole counties below giant asterisk shadows whose fine black radial lines he could cause to move by playing slightly with the wheel's rubber rims. And his head's shadow brought to much of the suburb West Tucson, a premature dusk. He appeared to remain concentrated on his huge shadow play as gravel and then also breath sounded from the steep hillside back above him. Grit and dirty stones cascading out uh, onto the outcropping and gushing past his chair and off the front lip and then the unmistakable yelp of an individual's impact with a cactus somewhere up behind. But Marath, he had all the time, without turning, watched the other man's clumsy sliding descent's own mammoth shadow, cast as far east as the Rincon Range just past the city Tucson, and could see the shadow rush in west toward his own as unspecified services M. Hugh Steeply descended, falling <laughs> twice and cursing in USA English until the shadow collapsed nearly into Marath's monstrous own. Another yelp took place as the unspecified services field operatives fall and slide the last several meters, carried him upon his bottom down onto the outcropping and then nearly all the way out and off it, Marath having to release the machine pistol under his blanket to grab Steeply's bare arm and halt this sliding. <laughs> Steeply's skirt was pulled obscenely up and his hoisery full of runs and stubs of thorns. The operative sat at Marath's feet, glowing redly in the backlight, legs hanging over the shelf's edge, breathing with difficulty. Marath smiled and released the operative's arm. Stealth becomes you, he said. Ugh, go shit in your chapeau, steeply wheezed, bringing up his legs to survey the hoisier's damage. They spoke, for the most part, USA English when they met like this, covertly, in the field. M. Fortier, which takes us back to end note number 39, Morath's superior in the AFR, the leader of the wheelchair assassins USA cell, <laughs> and the former boyhood friend of Remy Morath's late older brothers, both struck and killed by trains. Uh, AFR stands for Les Assassins du Fauteuil Roland, <laughs> aka Wheelchair Assassins, pretty much Quebec's most dreaded and rapacious anti-ONAN terror cell. Great. And there is a note, a subnote for struck and killed by trains, but I'm going to choose to leave it for now because it is super long and it is actually connected to a much, much later part of the story that I think will make a little less sense to you. But let's just say that the reason that he uh, does not, uh, that he's in a wheelchair is because of a train. Okay. Are all the Quebec wheelchair assassins due to train related injuries? Correct. Okay. I'll, fig I'll figure this out later. Yes. Uh, M. Fortier, I guess that would be Monsieur Fortier, had wished Marath to require that they interface always in Quebecois French 
as for a small symbolic concession to the AFR on the part of the Office of Unspecified Services, which the Quebecois separatist left referred to always as BSS, the Bureau des Services Sans Spécificité. Marath watched a column of shadow spread again out east over the desert's floor as Steeply got a hand under himself and rose, a huge and well-fed figure tottering on heels. The two men sent together a strange broken broken gepenched shadow out toward the city Tucson, a shadow round and radial at the base and jagged at the top from Steeply's wig becoming uncombed in his descent. Steeply's gigantic prosthetic breasts pointed in wildly different directions now, one nearly at the empty sky. The matte curtain of sunset's true dusk shadow was moving itself very slowly in across the Rincons and Sonora Desert, east of the city Tucson, still many kilometers from obscuring their own large shadow. But once Marath had committed not just to pretend to betray his assassin, des fauteuils roulants in order to secure advanced medical care for the medical needs of his wife, but to in truth do this, betray, perfidiously, now pretending only to Monsieur Fortier and his AFR superiors that he was merely pretending to feed some betraying information to BSS, 40, uh, to BSS which takes us to NO40. Great. And I will explain this after, I promise. NO40. In other words, okay, this will explain it. In other words, uh, M4DA and the AFR, as far as Marath knew, believed that Marath was functioning as a kind of triple agent or duplicitous double agent. At Fortier's direction, Marath had pretended to approach BSS, seeking to trade knowledge of the AFR's anti-ONAN activities for protection and medical care for his hideously ill wife, Marath's. Only as far as Marath can know, Marath and very few BSS operatives know that Marath is now only to pretend, only pretending to pretend to betray. That M. Steeply is fully aware that Marath responds to BSS's summonses with what M. Forty-A believes is his Forty-A's full knowledge. Uh, that M48 is not, as far as Marath and Steeply can reasonably posit, aware that Steeply and BSS are aware that Forty-A is aware of Marath's meetings with Steeply and that Marath's own violent death will be the smallest of his, Marath's, problems should his Montremblant countrymen come to suspect the even-numbered total of his final loyalties. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, think I, get, I think I gather this, but also I gather that it's not really important to follow. <laughs> not, not in that sentence alone. All, all you can understand is that Marath is... Um, Acting in this scene, he is a double agent, meaning he's betraying the confidences of um, the AFR to the ONAN. But the AFR But the knows. AFR thinks that he is not giving them any kind of real good information, that he's in fact tripling, but he might in fact be Quadruple. quadrupling. All right. I think I follow this. <sighs> okay. We can talk about it a little more at the end, but yes. Yes. Um, once this decision... Morath was without all power, served now at the pleasures of the power of Steeply and the BSS of Hugh Steeply, and now they spoke mostly the USA English of Steeply's preference. In fact, Steeply's Quebecois was better than Morath's English, but c'était la guerre, as one says. Morath sniffed slightly. Thus so, we now are both here. <laughs> he wore a windbreaker and did not perspire. Steeply's eyes were luridly made up. 
The rear area of, of his dress was dirty. Some of his makeup had started to run. He was forming a type of salute to shade his eyes and looking upward behind them at what remained of the explosive and trembling sun. How in God's name did you get up here? (laughs) (laughs) Morath slowly shrugged. As usual, he appeared to steeply as if he were half asleep. He ignored the question and said only, shrugging, my time is finite. (laughs) Steeply had also with him a woman's handbag or purse. And the wife, he said, gazing upward as yet, How's the wife doing? Holding her own weight, thank you, Morath said. His tone of voice betrayed nothing. And so thus, what is it your offices believe they wish to know? Steeply tottered on a leg as he removed one shoe and poured from it grit. Nothing terribly surprising. A bit of razzle-dazzle up northeast in your so-called ops area, certainly you heard. Morath sniffed. A large odor of inexpensive and high-alcohol perfume came not from Steeply's person, but from his handbag, which failed to complement his shoes. Morath said, dazzle? As in, a civilian-type individual receives a certain item? Don't tell me this is news to you guys. Not on interlaced pulse, this item. Arrives via normal physical mail. We've sure, we're sure you've heard, Remy. A cartridge copy of a certain, let's call it between ourselves, the entertainment. Bum, bum, bum. As in the mail, without warning or motive, out of the blue. <laughs> From somewhere blue? <laughs> the BSS operative had perspired also through his rouge and his mascara had melted to become whorish. <laughs> Jesus. A person with no political value to anybody except that the Saudi Ministry of Entertainment made one the hell of a shrill stink. Uh, the medical attaché, the specialist of digesting you refer to. Morath shrugged again in that maddening francophone way that can mean several things. Your offices wish to ask what was the entertainment's cartridge disseminated through our mechanism? Don't let's waste your finite time, a me old friend, Steeply said. The mischief happens to occur in metropolitan Boston. Postal codes route the package through the desert southwest, and we know your dissemination scheme's routing mechanism is proposed for somewhere between Phoenix and the border down here. Steeply had worked hard at feminizing his expressions and gesturing. It would be a bit starry-eyed of OUS not to think of your distinguished cell, no? Beneath Morath's windbreaker was a sport shirt whose breast pocket was filled with many pens. He said... Us, we don't have the information on even casualties from this blue dazzle you speak of. Steeply was trying to extract something stubborn from inside his other shoe. Upwards of 20, Remy. Out of commission altogether. The attaché and his wife, the wife of Saudi citizen. Four more raggers, all with embassy cards. Mm. Yikes. A couple neighbors or something. The rest mostly police before word got to a level they could stop police from going in before they killed the power local police forces, gendarme, the local constabulary, (laughs) the minions of the law of the land. (laughs) The local constabulary were, shall we say, unprepared for an entertainment like this. Steeply even removed and replaced his pumps in the upright on one leg, bringing other foot up behind his bottom way of a feminine USA woman. Mm, I'm familiar with that gesture. But he appeared huge and bloated as a woman. Not merely unattractive, but inducing something like sexual despair. (laughs) 
He said, I, I felt that before. He said, the attache had diplomatic status, Remy, Mideast, Saudi, said to be close to minor members of the royal family. Marath sniffed hard, as if congested of the nose. A puzzling, he said. But also a compatriot of yours, Canadian citizenship, born in Ottawa to Arab emigres, visa lists a residence in Montreal. And services without specificity wishes maybe to ask, were there below-the-surface connections that would make the individual not such a civilian unconnected? To ask of us, would the AFR wish to make of him the example? <laughs> Steeply was removing dirt from his bottom, swatting himself on the bottom. <laughs> he stood more or less directly over Morath. Morath sniffed. We have neither digestive medicals nor diplomatic entourages on any lists for action. You have personally seen AFR's initial lists, nor in particular Montreal civilians. We have, as one will say, larger seafood to cook. <laughs> uh, Steeply was looking out over the desert and city, also, as he swatted at himself. He seemed to have noticed the gishpensed phenomenon of his own shadow. Morath, for some reason, pretended again to sniff the nose. The wind was moderate and constant and of about the temperature of a USA clothes dryer set on low. It made the shrill whistling sounds, also sounds of the blowing grit. Weeds of tumbling, like enormous hairballs, rolled often across the interstate highway of I-10 far below. <laughs> Their spectacular, specular perspective, the reddening light on vast tan stone and the oncoming curtain of dusk, the further elongation of their monstrous agnate shadows, all was almost mesmerizing. Neither man seemed able to look at anything but the vista below. Marath could simultaneously speak in English and think in French. The desert was the tawny color of the hide of the lion. <laughs> They're speaking without looking at one another, facing both the same direction. This gave their conversing an air of careless intimacy, as of old friends at the cartridge viewer together, or a long-married couple. Morath thought this as he opened and closed his upheld hand, making over the city Tucson a huge and black blossom open itself and close itself, and steeply raised his bare arms and held them out and crossed them, maybe as if signaling for distant aid. This made X's and pedentive V's over much in the city Tucson. Still, Remy, but born in the hated bayou Ottawa, the civilian attache and connected to a major buyer of transgrid entertainment and follow up out of the Boston offices reports possible indications of the victim's prior possible involvement with the widow of the auteur we both know was responsible for the entertainment in the first place. Mm, wait, the, wait, wait. Were they saying the, the attache had involvement with the widow? Yes. Okay. Yes. Who Which is that's been mentioned before. Avril. Avril. In Condensa. Who is the head... Mistress of the tennis, tennis academy. academy. Correct. Great. Uh, the Samiz dot. Prior? Steeply produced from his handbag Belgian cigarettes of a many millimeter and habitually female type. <laughs> Film director's wife had taught out at Brandeis where the victim done, victimed done his residency. <laughs> the husband was on board over at AEC and different agencies' background checks indicated... The wife was fucking just about everything with a pulse, mm. with the slight pause of which Steeply could excel, particularly a Canadian pulse. <laughs> Involvement of sexuality is what you are meaning then, not politics. Steeply said, this wife herself, a Quebecer, Remy, from Lille County, Chef Teen, 
uh, Teen or Tyne? I'm going to say Tyne. Chef Tyne says three years spent on Ottawa's Personne qui en list. <laughs> There's such a thing as political sex. I have said to you all we know. Civilians as individual warnings to ONAN are not our desire. This is known by you. Marath's eyes looked nearly closed. And your tits, they have become cockeyed, I will tell you. Services without specificity, they have given you ridiculous tits, and now they point differently. <laughs> Steebly looked down at himself. One of the false breasts, surely false, surely they would not go so far as the hormonal, Marath thought, nearly touched the chins of Steeply when his looking down produced his double chins. I was asked to secure personal verification, is all, he said. My general sense of the office is the brass consider the whole incident a stumper. There's theories and counter-theories. There are even anti-theories positing error, mistaken identity, sick hoax. His shrugging with his hands on the prosthesis appeared not at all Gallic. <laughs> Still, 23 human beings lost for all time. That'd be some hoax, no? Morath sniffed. Asked to verify by our mutual M. Tyne. How you call him? Rod a god? Rodney Tyne Sr., a chief of unspecified services, acknowledged architect of ONAN and Continental Reconfiguration, who held the ear of the White House of USA and whose stenographer had long doubled as the stenographer come jeune fille de vendredi of Monsieur Duplessis. Remember him? Yes. Former uh, assistant coordinator of the Pan-Canadian Resistance and whose passionate ill-disguised attachment tines to this double amanuensis one Mademoiselle Luria Perec of Lamartine County Lille, Quebec, gave rise to these questions of the high-level loyalties of Tyne, whether he'd doubled, which takes us to endnote 41, uh, intra-ONAN sobriquet for acting as a double agent, similarly with tripling and so on. Okay whether he doubled for Quebec out of the love for Loria or tripled the loyalties, pretending only to divulge secrets while secretly maintaining his USA fealty against the pull of an irresistible love, it was said. The Remy. It was clear that Steeply could not fix his breast directions without pulling down severely his décolletage, which he was shy to do. He produced from his handbag sunglasses and put on the sunglasses. They were embellished with rhinestones and looked absurd. Rod the God. Morath forced himself to say nothing of their appearance. Steeply tried with several matches to light a cigarette in the wind. The encroachment of true dusk began to erase his wig's chaotic shadow. Electric lights began to twinkle in the Rincon foothills east of the city. Steeply tried somewhat to cup his body around the match for shelter for the flame. It's a herd of feral hamsters, a major herd, thundering across the yellow plains of the southern reaches of the Great Concavity in what used to be Vermont, raising dust that forms a uremic-hued cloud with somatic shapes interpretable from as far away as Boston and Montreal. The herd is descended from two domestic hamsters set free by a Watertown, New York boy at the beginning of the experialist migration in the subsidized year of the Whopper. The boy now attends college in Champaign, Illinois, and has forgotten that his hamsters were named Ward and June. The noise of the herd is tornadic, locomotival. <laughs> the expression on the hamsters' whiskered faces is businesslike and implacable. 
It's that implacable herd expression. They thunder eastward across petal fairest terrain that today is fallow, denuded. To the east, dimmed by the fulvous cloud the hamsters send up, is the vivid, verdant, ragged outline of the annularly over-fertilized forests of what used to be central Maine. All of these territories are now property of Canada. With respect to a herd of this size, please exercise the sort of common sense that, come to think of it, would keep your thinking man out of the southwest concavity anyway. Feral hamsters are not pets. They mean business. Wide berth advised. Carry nothing even remotely vegetable-ish if in the path of a feral herd. If in the path of such a herd, move quickly and calmly in a direction perpendicular to their own. If American, north, not advisable. Move south calmly and in all haste towards some border metropolis, Rome, New New York, or Glens Falls, New New York, or Beverly, Massachusetts, say, or those bordered points between them at which the giant protective asks me fans atop the hugely convex protective walls of anodized lucite hold off the drooling and piss-colored bank of teratogenic concavity clouds and move the bank well back north away jaggedly over your protected head <laughs> great um a, just another page and a half to finish sure. this steeply thing the heavy-tongued english of steeply was even more difficult to understand with a cigarette in the mouth and he said uh and you'll of course report this little interface of you and me right back to fortier marath shrugged shrugged Uh, steeply got it lit he was a large and soft man some type of brutal u.s contact sport athlete now become fat he appeared to marath to look less like a woman than a twisted parody of womanhood electrolysis had caused patches of tiny red pimples along his jowls and upper lip he also held his elbow out the arm holding the match for lighting, which is how no woman lights a cigarette, who is used to breasts and keeps the lighting elbow in. Also steeply teetered ungracefully on his pumps' heels on the stone's uneven surface. He never for a moment turned his back completely at Morath as he stood on the lip of the outcropping. And Morath had his chair's wheels clamps now locked down tight and a firm grip on the machine's pistol's pebbled grip. Steeply's purse was small and glossy black, and the sunglasses he wore had womanly frames with small false jewels at the temples. Morath believed that something insteeply enjoyed his grotesque appearance and craved the humiliation of the field disguises his BSS superiors requested of him. Steeply now looked at him in probability behind the dark glasses. And also that I just right now asked you if you'd report it and that you'd said, bien sûr? Morath's laugh had this misfortune to sound false and overhearty, whether or not sincere. He made a mustache of his finger, pretending for some reason to stifle a need to sneeze. You verify this because of why? Steeply scratched under the hem of his blonde wig with, stupidly, dangerously, the thumb of his hand that held the cigarette. Well, you are already tripling, Remy, aren't you? Or would it be quadrupling? We know 48 and the AFR know you're here with me now. But do my brothers on wheels know that you are knowing this? That they have sent me to pretend I double? Morath's sidearm, a sterling UL-35 9mm machine pistol with a Magna port silencer, did not have a safety. 
Its fat and texture of pebbles grip was hot from Morath's palm and in turn caused Morath's palm to perspire beneath the blanket. From Steeply, there was merely silence. There merely was silence. Morath said, have I merely pretended to pretend to pretend to betray? <laughs> Which takes us to end note 42. Um, the thing of important seems to be that Morath's AFR superiors believe he only is pretending to betray them in order to secure advanced U.S. cardiac prosthetic technology for his wife, but that, in fact, he really is betraying him, the superiors, his country, probably actually for that medical tech, and is thus only pretending only to pretend. So he is. I guess that's the point, is that if you are quadrupling, you are, aren't you just, in fact, doubling? Right. Right. At some point, it just cancels itself out. Yeah. Um, And the desert USA's light has now become sad. More than half the round sun gone behind the tortolitas. Only now the chair's wheels and Steeply's thick legs cast shadows below the dusk line. And these shadows were becoming squat and retreating back up toward the two men. Steeply did a brief pretend Charleston playing with his legs shadows. Nothing personal, you know that. It's the obsessive caution. Who was it? Who once said we get to we get paid to drive ourselves crazy? The caution thing. You guys and Tyne, your Duplessis always suspected he tried to hold back on the information he passed sexually to Luria. Morath shrugged hard. And abruptly, M. Duplessis has now passed away from life, under circumstances of almost ridiculous suspicion. Again with a false sounding lap laugh. An inept burglary and grip indeed. <laughs> Both men were silent. Ste- Steeply's left arm had on it a nasty mesquite scratch, Morath could observe. Morath finally glanced at his watch, its dial illuminated in his body's shadow. Both men's shadows were now climbing the steep incline, returning up to them. Me, I think that we go about our affairs in a more simple manner than your BSS office. If M. Tyne's betrayer, tr- betrayal were complete, incomplete, we of Quebec would be aware. Because of Loria. Morath pretended to fuss with his blanket, rearranging it. But yes, the caution. Loria would be aware. Steeply stepped gingerly up to the edge and tossed out his cigarette stub. The wind caught the stub and it soared slightly upward from his hand, moving east. Both men were silent until the butt fell and hit the dark mountainside off below them, a tiny bloom of orange. Their silence then became contemplative. Something tight in the air between them loosened. Morath no longer felt the sun on his skull. Dusk settled about them. Steeply had found his triceps' scratch and twisted the flesh of his arm to examine it, his rouged lips rounded with concern. Good place to stop? Good place to stop. Okay. Oh boy. So, what what is what just I'm going to try to try to go through what, what's going on there? Uh, such beautifully evocative writing for something for s- such stupid content. I know. What's well, also I remember reading this the first time and being like, "Damn, the sun's still going down, huh?" Yeah. Like, <laughs> it do it do still be going? Yeah. Like every chapter that we've done has been like you know six, seven, ten pages to describe effectively like a minute of time. Yes. Uh, also, the Python, the Monty Python comparisons still keep jumping out at me. The, mm-hmm. the ridiculously dressed uh, female impersonation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the 
broad ethnic stereotypes of something that you could of of like Quebecois people. Yeah, right. Of, of like a non-offensive ethnicity. Yes, right. Right. Um, so, although tell tell that to an actual Quebec or nationalist, should should I try to recap because it is it's y- very winding. I mean, I could take a guess at it, but it's probably going to be easier if you just tell me what happened there. Okay, so we have Hugh Steeply, who is undercover dressed as a woman. We undercover don't we don't know why yet. No, he's coming to meet with uh, Marath, who is a Ke- Quebecer terrorist in a wheelchair. Yes, um, but the Quebecois terrorist group is different from the. T- in distinct from the wheelchair assassins. The the AFR that that's his group. His okay. main group is the AFR. When we were talking about Duplessis earlier and how yeah. he managed to unite a diverse group of uh, Canadian terrorists. Yes, that is it's one, one of them. them. So yeah, it's like there are different network networks of separatists, and yes. Duplessis was like the figurehead of yeah. all of them. And you know, they, he was the uh, the. Al Iraqi. What was that guy's name that we know. drone assassinated? Oh, God, yeah. yeah, one of the ISIS guys. Right. So he's, yes, he's, he's meeting this um, Quebecer terrorist in a wheelchair. Uh, he ostensibly, he, the guy is a, a giving, he's a double agent. He's giving um, the, you, um, the ONAN information about, about the terrorist Quebec cells. To get medical equipment for his wife. Yes. But uh, that is only, uh, that's a false pretense. He is uh, actually still working for the AFR, he's merely pretending to give valuable information to the ONAN, but he's actually not. Or, but, is, or he? is he? Yes. And the the question, and we'll hear a bit more about this because the, the linchpin of it seems to be the care for his wife, yes. which we don't know yet what kind of care she needs other than some sort of, and of course, heart thing. And of course, as, as is the style, uh, Wallace is uh, to humorous effect overwriting the duplicity uh, yeah. When it's just a matter of is he loyal to the Qu- Quebec or is he betraying Quebec? He's doing the Friends scene when Monica and Chandler are hooking up, and people find are gradually finding out, and it's the they don't know that we know that they know. Yes, exactly. It's a it's a it's a bit it's a bit like sketch. Yeah, it's a farce. And some things that they discuss they discuss the entertainment, the entertainment which is the first time that we hear it called as such. It's the called the entertainment, and they call it the Samiz dot as well. Mm-hmm. Um. It's taken out 23 people at this point before they cut the power to the building. And th- those people died. They don't die. They go into like they, some kind of they coma. Can't, they're not living anymore. Okay. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. Okay. Um, yeah, they, they don't, we don't hear too much about the effect, the true effects of the entertainment other than like once you see it, your life is over because you don't, you just want to watch it for the rest of your okay, life. You, like, I, I, you will I will never consider be it like person. some kind of a coma or you know, brain death. Brain death. Death. They talk about the entertainment. Uh, Office of Unspecified Services is trying to figure out well, fucking why, uh, why it why is it existing? The, why was it sent for, in the path that is it's? It, and did the AFR? Was I gathering that right that they were designing it to like intentionally distribute it and it got out? They like all, the I think all he knows is like the coronavirus. All he knows is that the AFR has entertainment cart like cartridge distribution possible like they they are capable of distributing cartridges mm-hmm. and so they're like well did you do it and he's like i don't know anything he just shrugs, he just shrugs. <laughs> the, the, the the inscrutable shrug of and a then Frenchman. there's also information about this woman luria luria perec who yeah. is a canadian separatist mm-hmm. who has possibly infiltrated the enfield tennis academy mm-hmm. um because he was she was maybe having an affair oh no, she was having an affair with rodney tyne rod the god tyne who mm-hmm. we will meet uh, 
more later, later. but he's a very important. He's a White House guy. Uh-huh. He's like the he's the head of the CIA basically okay, in great. this. And so, but he's fucking he's falling in love with a Canadian terrorist lady. Mm-hmm. Luria also has maybe connections with Avril. Yes, who, who is the ex-wife of James Owen Cadenza, who has Jack made, who has it has who has been created confirmed the, he entertainment, made the entertainment, which we have gathered from reading the end note. But if you did not, this is where the first yes. time you would be making that connection. It's Infinite Jest number four. Or that's five. that's why you got to read the end notes. That's why you got to read. That's the end why you have to read the entire. Anyway. Uh, and then also, a uh, a massive herd of feral hamsters has taken over the wasteland of Vermont. Totally. <laughs> and he put that right in the middle yeah, like, he didn't even do a, a, a paragraph break he just like stuck it right in there yeah um and they're in tucson they're in tucson completing the 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 tripartite geographical divisions of this book of quebec boston and arizona right um so yeah it's a lot and this this conversation continues this is like basically runs this is this is not the end of their conversation yeah, okay and you will just gradually learn more and more about like again the sort of intercontinental political intrigues, sexual intrigues sexual intrigues yeah uh entertainment over simulation mm-hmm. i think as a as we just stopped watching like two hours of endless youtube videos and as soon as we're done with this we'll probably go back to uh youtube videos i was just thinking uh you Coincidence or not, uh, David Foster Wallace kills himself basically the moment that streaming video mm-hmm. uh, ki- becomes a reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we as we determined from like the the one insightful thing from uh, the end of the tour that mm-hmm. uh, perhaps he is an addiction, perhaps he was addicted, perhaps he wasn't, but his but his true addiction was television. television. And goddamn if the advent of streaming television, I'm sure he would see that as a horrifying portent of just how much even more addicting right. this thing could be. Yeah. I mean, did you see that thing this week that was like, um, people were like kind of clowning on it because the New Yorker put out a piece that's like the, the, the rise of background television, how I think it was based mm-hmm. around Emily in Paris. They were like, how Netflix is, is pioneering a, um, a form of TV you don't really have to pay attention to. And people were like that, was always what TV, TV was. TV is always Some, background. Is something that you don't have to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, it's only relatively really recently that TV has made has made the pretense of like, no, actually, this is important. It's basically since like the late 90s. Right. Basically since The Sopranos came out. Right. And then it's like, no, yeah, you have to pay attention. I Speaking of t- television and attention, the same guy who wrote the kind of expose uh, the deep dive on the Elsa Spider-Man, um, like oh, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, AI generated uh, warped Proce- children, yeah, procedurally generated children's murder. Yeah, tunes. he he had done a thread on Twitter where he was talking about how Sesame Street was originally created. It was public television, and it was specifically designed. They tested how compelling it was by they had. Uh, kids watching Sesame Street on a television, there was a screen perpendicular to the TV that had just like random flashing images. Mm -hmm. And the idea would be like, you have to, kids would need to watch at least like 90% of what was really on television and not be distracted by the flashing images in order for the show to be approved. (laughs) That's a hilarious Because like the idea is like, you're supposed to compel and educate the Mm -hmm. kids. And now what we have, like everyone is watching the flashing The flashing images. And And hilariously, what wasn't what was designed as a public good is now on paywall behind a subscription service on premium cable. Yep. Oh, which it's I so mean, bad. I guess it's. I'm glad that they didn't have to like destroy all the 
Sesame Street puppets when they took it off of air. <laughs> had to, you know, take Big Bird out uh, to a farm upstate. Uh, but it sucks that it's no longer public. Yeah. No, that's awful. Yeah. Same with like Char- Charlie Brown Thanksgiving is yeah. now on Apple Plus. <sighs> so deeply stupid. <sighs> maybe maybe DFW was right. But this is also like... It, this book is about it's terrorism that you can't like it's not a bo- it's non it's non-violent terrorism yeah. but it is violent because it is destroying it's, your brain it does violence to your attention it's not destroying a building yeah. or you know a fucking plane or whatever but it like it's terrorism all the same yeah i am just <sighs> enjoying i mean i, I kind of said this as my first comment again everything is like beautifully written and described but this book is essentially fairly like pulpy yeah and like gaggy and Make- jokey and it's not that serious but it is like the writing is good yeah just a guy trying to pump this dude for information he's like your tits are all uh, well, wacky. Uh, wacky dude what's up what's up with your dude, tits? what's up with your tits yeah yeah one is pointing up is this guy. Also, do you love the little like translated from French thought into yes. English? Yes, oh, I was going to say that too. He's almost like doing his his uh, stupid A V E thing, but with French. It's, it works way better when he, he does, does it with than French. That. The what the hide of the lion? Yeah, the 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 rock is the color of the hide of the lion because yeah, that exactly. is how French is. It's always the blah 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 blah. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, it's funny. Well, we're I I wish unfortunately we're, we're at not, page ninety five. We're, we're not quite so a page close 100. to our first hundred. Get some champagne when we hit when we'll, we when we ding our first when uh, we hit the next our first hundo, desi. We'll go crazy. And I wanted to save it because I do think it's going to be pretty juicy. But the reason why the AFR the Assassin du Fauteuil Roland, uh, why they are uh, in those fauteuils is a great story. But we'll have to wait. But, great, and that that comes back later. Yes. Okay. Great. Well, we'll get to that eventually. Uh, all right. I think we're basically at the end uh, of this gun 40. I keep forgetting to say it. Uh, email us uh, the infinite cast pod at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, some people have already. Um, we've gotten some notes and ideas and stuff. Yeah. Maybe after we do a break our first hundred pages, then we can start thinking about like having guests and stuff. Yeah. On. I think that's good. Yeah. It's just a matter of who is invested enough to actually want to sit down and listen to like an uninterrupted stream of 25 minutes of reading to then talk about it for like 10. I think someone might. We'll see. But also we want to, uh, the idea would be to have guests on. We do the reading part and then afterwards maybe we can just riff on some other stuff. Yeah. That's not necessarily the book, but inspired by the book. Yeah. All right. Uh, ready to sign off? Yes. Say goodbye, Molly. Goodbye, Molly. Bye.